Uh, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in John 20. John 20, starting with verse 19. And that is on page 1686, if you're using a pew Bible. John 20, verse 19, page 1686. Have you ever had one of those days where nothing seems to go right? You ever have one of those? How about a week? You ever have a week where it just seems like things don't work? How about a month? Do you ever have a month that you just can't wait for it to be over? Well, that's kind of how Sue and I feel about August. <laughs> you know, uh, we've got a book for our grandkids called Alexander's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You familiar with that? Yes. Well, we've been having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad August. And we're just ready for it to go away. Um, Sue had some health problems toward the end of July, early part of August, that forced us to cancel our our trip to Alaska. And then we had some uh, unexpected, uh, fairly costly car repairs that had to take place. Got a notice from the electric company on our anniversary date for our budget that our bill was like 10 times higher than it's supposed to be. So now we got an electrical issue we're dealing with at the house. Um, we had Nick Haug's passing and that hit us pretty hard. My daughter dated Nick for about a year and a half. And so we got to know him quite well. And uh, that's been a hard one to deal with. And then on top of it all, just when the weather is turning hot again, I got a leak in my swimming pool. I know, I know. So I had to shut it down early. So I'm going to go through 90 degree days no swimming pool. Sorry, Heather. If you were going to add, I'm sorry. Uh, um, and I don't tell you these things because I want you to feel sorry for us, because I know that many of you have had as bad or worse a months as we've been having. But I tell you that because um, it sets the stage for what I want to talk about this morning, and that's dealing with doubt. Dealing with doubt. The troubles that we have, and especially the troubles that seem to pile on, one on top of the other, become the breeding ground for doubt. You find yourself really questioning, does, does God really love me? <laughs> I mean, if, if he's going to let all this stuff happen to me, does he really love me? Does he really care about me? Does he really answer my prayers? Does he really even notice me? You know, all these things. Satan uses our troubles to plant all the seeds of, of doubt and frustration and disappointment in our lives. And if we're not careful, it can begin to wear away at our faith. When I looked to the scripture to see what it would have to say about dealing with doubt, 
I came to this story in, in John 20. It should be fairly familiar to some of you. It's the story of Thomas and how Thomas reacted to the news that Jesus was alive again after his crucifixion. Let me, let me read it. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now skip down to verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. When Jesus first appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he knew even as he was standing there that they were going to have a hard time believing that it really was him. So the first thing he did was show them his hands, his feet, his side. He showed them the wounds so they would know that the one who stands before you is the one you saw die on the cross. And that changed everything. They went from sorrowful to joyful. They went from hopeless to hopeful. They went from doubting to bold belief. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know what Thomas was doing. Maybe he had gone to get some food. For the group? Maybe he'd just gone to take a walk. You know, everybody deals with grief differently. Some people want to be surrounded by people. They want people around them. They don't want to be alone. And other people want to be alone. They want everybody just to kind of back off, and they just need time by themselves to process their grief. Perhaps Thomas was one of those. And he just needed to get away from everybody for a while. And I couldn't help but think how many times I let things interfere with my experience of the Lord's presence in my life. You know, we're busy people. And we tend to place more priority on other things than perhaps we should. Sometimes we miss our time together to worship. Sometimes we miss our time with God in prayer or in His Word. 
Sometimes we miss out on being the hands and feet of Christ to show somebody His love because we're just too busy. I had that experience uh, this past week. I was heading out to church. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I was on a mission. I had things to do, places to go, people to see. And as I walked out the side door over there where I park, there was a lady leaned up against the electrical box, that big green electrical thing we have out there. She was just leaning against it. And she had this baby stroller, but it didn't have a baby in it. It had stuff in it. And I went out the door, and she was on the other side of the box, and she didn't look up at me, and I didn't say anything to her. I just jumped in my truck and left because I had things to do. I went and did one of those things, and then I started to get this overwhelming feeling that I needed to go back. I don't know if, it, if you had siblings. You know, one of the things my sister and I would do that just drove each other crazy is we would just take our finger, like if we're sitting in the car seat, you'd take your finger and just start poking them. Just poke them. Any of you ever do that? Just poke them. And, and the more they say, stop it. That's annoying. I don't want you to do that. Poke them more. Poke them more. And I thought... That's, that's theological because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. I find when, when I am supposed to do something, the Lord wants to lead me to do something, but I'm not cooperating, it's like, all right. He starts poking. And I just get this feeling that I, I'm supposed to do something. I'm, um, and then that that image of that lady came into mind. So I ran my one errand, which didn't take very long. I came back, and she's still leaning against the electrical box. And I pull up, and I thought, oh, this is going to go well. Here's this guy in this 20-year-old rusted truck pulling up um, uh, beside this lady in the parking lot. So I pull up and put down my window and smile big and say, I'm Roger. I'm pastor of this church, and... When I drove off, I, I didn't stop to ask you, do you need something from the church? Do you need something from me? Is there something I can do for you? And she said, no, no, I'm just waiting on someone. And I wanted something to lean on. So she's leaning on our electrical box. So it turned out to be I didn't need to do anything at all. But the point was I didn't even bother to find out because I was too busy. See, and we do that. We allow uh, our, I had other priorities when my priority should have been finding out if she needed anything from me. And that's what happened to Thomas. For whatever reason, he had other things and he missed witnessing the risen Christ. When Thomas returned, uh, he knew something had happened. I mean, when he left, it was a sorry bunch. I mean, they were all sitting around. They were sad. Uh, they were despondent. Um, they weren't hardly talking to each other. 
And when he came back, the room was buzzing. Everybody was smiling. They were talking excitedly to one another. They were gesturing. They were, it's like something happened here. And Thomas said, what's going on, guys? It doesn't say he said that, but I bet he said that. What's going on? We've seen the Lord. We saw him. And the expectation was that Thomas would light up as well and go, really? You saw Jesus? He's alive? Wow. But that's not what Thomas did. They told him the news and Thomas just looked at them for a few minutes. And he said, no. I'm sorry, I can't buy it. I don't believe it. Unless... I see him myself, unless I can touch him myself, unless I can actually feel the wounds in his body to prove that it's him, I will not believe it. That's what I call defiant doubt. That is doubt that is entrenched. That is doubt that no matter what they see to the contrary, they, they hold on to. And it's very hard to dispel that. There are a lot of people in this world defiantly doubting the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they're just holding on to it tight. You may know some people like that. You may have tried to talk to someone about the Lord or to share your faith with them or to invite them to church. And they're just, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't want anything to do with it. You know, Thomas gets a bad rap because of his doubting. In fact, 2,000 years later, what do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. This is only one small incident in his life, and yet he is defined by that moment when he said, I will not believe it. The truth is, he didn't doubt any more than the rest of them. Think back to the resurrection story. When the women came from the tomb, the women had experienced the risen Christ. They break into the room and said, guys! He's alive. The tomb's empty. We've seen him. And what'd they all say? We don't believe that. <laughs> we, we just don't believe that. And they did not believe them. It wasn't until some of them had gone and actually saw the empty tomb and that Jesus actually appeared to them that they believed it. Did you notice the first thing Jesus did when he appeared to them? He showed them his hands, his feet, his side. He showed them the wounds. The very thing that Thomas said, I got to see. <laughs> so they doubted just as much as he did. The difference was they'd seen Jesus. He hadn't. Which kind of brings me to the point. In my times of doubt, and I'll admit to you, this month has caused a few to creep in. In my times of doubt, it's the presence of the Lord that dispels it.
the first thing we have to do is be willing to acknowledge that we have the doubts. And, and I, I realize the church has not always been a good place for that. It should be, but it isn't. How many times when we come to church do we feel like, okay, got to put on the Christian face. I mean, I may be having the lousiest, worst day of my life or week of my life or month of my life, but when I go to church, I'm smiling. And when you ask me, how am I doing? I'm good. And inside, those doubts are screaming, you are not. No, you're not. But it's like, this ain't the place to show it. Because these are like faithful people, and they, faith people don't understand doubting people. So I can't be doing that here. But you can and you should. I mean, notice that what Thomas did. Do you think he was tempted when the disciples all said, we've seen the Lord, he could have just said, man, I don't buy that one bit. But hey, great. Yeah, yeah. He's alive. I don't believe it. Yeah. He had to be tempted to just join in the party. But he didn't. He was genuine. He was authentic. He said, I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I mean, you guys are my friends. I trust you. But I've seen too much. I've experienced too much to believe your word that he's alive. He owned his doubts. He acknowledged his doubts. And did the other disciples kick him out? Well, there's no place for that here. Go away. <laughs> no. It said a week later, he was with them. They embraced him. They, they came around him in the midst of his doubts. They encouraged him. I can imagine one by one, each of the disciples going up to Thomas and saying, Man, I, I know this has to sound crazy, and I know you're struggling to believe it, but it's true. It's true. See, the church needs to be that kind of place where you can ask honest questions, where you can bring your doubts, you can bring your disbelief. And we're not going to freak out about that. We're going to embrace you and welcome you and help you move from doubt to faith. One of the highlights of my ministry here was a lady who came uh, with three small children a number of years ago. And this was one of those people that's very direct. Do you know anybody like that? They tell you exactly what they think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and she came in and I said, hi, I'm Roger. I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And she said, I just want you to know up front, I don't believe in Jesus. I've never had anybody say that before in church. <laughs> I've never had anybody walk through those doors and say, I'm here, but I don't buy it. She owned it. 
She had come out of an atheistic background. And so I, as some, I have some curiosity here, so I said, well, why are you here? What brought you here this morning? And she said, I don't believe it, but I want to know if there's any truth to it. So I am willing to find out. So over the next months, she was one of our most regular attenders. She was here almost every Sunday, came to Bible study. She allowed us to love on her, to take care of her kids, to uh, share our faith with her, to teach her, to encourage her. And, and you could just see, little by little, that defiant doubt melting away. And about a year later, I baptized her. And I thought at the time, this is one of the most authentic people I know. She was willing to walk into a church and say, I don't believe. And she walked out a believer. And that's why we're here. For the Thomases of the world. Because if we're all honest, we have those moments. Remember, our trouble is the breeding ground of doubt. And I've had my share in the past few years of allowing doubts to creep in and needing to, to work through that. And for me, the answer is the same as Thomas. Thomas continued to surround himself by people of faith. And so do I. And my darker moments and my troubled moments and my times of doubt, I surround myself with you. You know, we think the pastor's the one that's supposed to teach you, and the pastor's the one that's supposed to minister to you. But to be honest with you, uh, you fulfill that function for me and my family as well. And I work through my my despair and my disappointment and my frustration and my doubts because of you. And that's what we're here for. That's the church being the church, the body of Christ. And you never know who you're going to come across in your own personal life that you might be the catalyst to help them move from doubt to faith. Let us pray. God, you are good. And I know there are times when I've said that and I wasn't sure it was true. In the midst of trouble and hardship, your goodness is often obscured by our hurt. But Lord, I realize that your goodness is not changed by my trouble. Because no matter how difficult things may become, even though you don't take the trouble away, you come alongside and you walk through it with me. And your word even says that you use that trouble 
for your good. You use it to create in me a stronger, more resilient faith. So God, I thank you for your blessings and I even thank you for the hurt because I know that in the end, I will be stronger for it. I pray that you be with each of us in our doubts that we may find our way to faith. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There may be someone here this morning whose life has been characterized by doubt. There are probably people sitting here this morning who say, I'm really not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Not sure I believe it. Not sure I buy it. Got a lot of questions. Got a lot of concerns. And that's okay. That is really okay. Nobody's going to push you to do anything that you are not ready to do. But should you be to that point that you're willing to say my faith is greater than my doubt and I am willing to step out in faith and receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I want to give you that opportunity. As we sing this hymn of invitation, we're going to invite you to come. Uh, I want to receive you. I want to welcome you. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in what we call a confession of faith that simply says, I believe in Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior. If you're ready to take that step of faith, I welcome you to come. Let's stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 91, verses 1 and 4.
Christ's blessings to see.